And welcome to you all, praise God. I'll tell you something. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what country you were born in. I don't care what your native language is. I don't care your bank account or your educational accomplishments. I don't care how much money you make at work or how you've risen through the corporate structure. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, you are family. Praise God. You are family. You're my brother. You're my sister. Hallelujah. And we're close. We're close. We're tight. Praise God. Especially the brothers and sisters in Christ that have joined together in one single local church like this. Oh, we're tight. Amen. Amen. We're covering for one another, supporting one another. Praise God. Okay, let's turn in the Bibles to Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. And I'll kind of uh, continue with the subject I was on last week, which is this passage of Scripture. We're just going to be in this passage of Scripture. I may refer to a couple other Scriptures, but you can leave your Bible open to this. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 Let me read a few verses here. It says, When he was gone forth in the way, speaking of Jesus, when he was gone forth in the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered, the, uh, the one that came running answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Of course, I'm wondering to myself, oh, come on, really? What are you, so perfect? But Jesus doesn't question him like that. Verse 21, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, Take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. So let me uh, instruct you in, a good, in good church behavior this morning, good congregational behavior. Uh, when you uh, are encouraged and agree and you uh, support what the preacher is saying, it's good, it's good church practice to get involved a little bit, like nod your head, say amen, you know, clap your hands a little bit now and then, give a witness in other words. It's good to have your eyes on the preacher, praise God, and 
on the, on the Bible. Like for your head to sort of go up and down from the preacher to the Bible. Hope your Bible's open now to John chapter 10 and refer to the passage that I just read many times as I'm speaking to you. Check it out, reread a passage, think about it yourself, see what you, the Lord could speak to you out of it. Now, what I notice here is that the disciples were astonished at Jesus' words, at this exchange between Jesus and this seeker. Let's call him a seeker. And I wonder if they are so astonished because Jesus' analysis of this seeker is so pointed. Maybe Jesus' analysis could be like this. Problem? He's rich. Simple. That's it. Problem? He's rich. And they could be astonished at that analysis. Whoa! So quick, so simple, so definitive. How could it be so automatic? Or maybe they were astonished because the Lord asked him to do a pretty far out thing. Sell everything? Give it all to the poor? Wow, that is astonishing. Kiss everything you own goodbye. Whoo! In their mind, it was astonishing. In Jesus' mind, it was very simple. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Like last week, let's not make the message this morning about money. Last week, we made this passage about direction. Launching, trajectory, and landing. Remember, we pretended that we were, that this uh, man, this seeker, had a cell phone in his tunic, and that Jesus had a cell phone in his tunic, and that we could watch them on Google Maps. That each of them would be represented by a little blue dot on Google Maps. And so we watch as the man's dot approaches Jesus' dot. It's like we're looking from overhead at their movement. And we see the, man, the seeker's dot approach Jesus' dot on Google Maps. Pause. Jesus wanted it to go away and come back. Go away, get your stuff, sell it all, come back, follow me. We'll go along as two dots in life. You and me, man, we'll go along in life, two dots together. Instead, this young man's dot went away and never came back. It's the view from above. First, the rich man's dot approaches Jesus' dot. We're looking hopeful here. Then Jesus tells him to go, grasp all his worldly stuff, get rid of it all. Then he can come back. That's surprising. Instead, he never comes back. That's probably not surprising at all. Jesus wanted him to go 
and in going be changed. This was going to change him and his life. He would go away one way and come back differently. It was a challenge to get rid of his riches and it was designed to change the man. I can tell you that Jesus would like to change all of you. All of you. Oh, Jesus already changed me. Oh. Can I, can I tell you? He's not done. He wants to change you some more. Hallelujah. We'll talk about how the rich man, the seeker, needed to change. The implication of the discussion is very clear. The man asked how to inherit eternal life, and Jesus told him how. The rich man simply wasn't feeling it. And so he comes to Jesus looking for something, and he doesn't get what he was looking for. Fail! Fail! What's at stake? The stakes are huge. The stakes make the money look like chump change. Because what's at stake is a close relationship with Jesus... Is there anything better in this life than a close relationship with the greatest man that ever lived? And what's at stake is eternal life. Does it get any better? Does it get any bigger? Huge stakes. So last week it was about launch trajectory landing. You will miss the target if you point your projectile in the wrong direction. Like I said, if you want to go to Weedsport, don't get on Route 90, the thruway, headed east. That's not going to happen. If you want to land in eternal bliss and reward with Jesus... Together with Jesus, as Brother Don was referring to in his communion meditations, your life has to be headed in that direction. All the time, it has to be headed in that direction. You won't land there if your life is not headed there, if your life is headed away from him. Think about your life right now, brothers and sisters. Think about your life if you're watching on Living Word Live. Are you tending in your life toward Jesus? Or are you tending in your life away from Jesus? If you're just standing your ground, I will tell you, the distance between you and Jesus is getting bigger. If you're just standing your ground, the distance is getting bigger because Jesus is always on the move. If you want to get closer to him, you've got to move with him. This week, I'd like to examine what riches did to the man. And not zero in on the riches so much as what the result was in him. Remember, this man represents all of us. 
All of us, all of us must hear the word of Jesus and go and get a grip on all our worldly stuff and get it out of the way. You've got to get a grip on your worldly stuff and get rid of it. And then follow Jesus. You've got to get a grip on your loves, the distractions, and you've got to surrender them. If we don't get a grip on this stuff and send it away, it may keep us from him and from eternal life. An image came to me while I was praying about this word and studying this word of a dovecote. A dovecoat is like a, um, a coop for doves or for pigeons. The keeping of doves and pigeons goes back actually thousands of years. Archaeologists have found dovecoats in ancient Egypt, in ancient Syria, even a dovecote in the city of David, the ancient city of David that dates all the way back to King David, a dovecote or a coop for doves and, and or pigeons. Just a few miles away from Jerusalem, there is a first century dovecote carved into a cave, a limestone cave. And it has scores of niches carved into the wall of the cave where the doves would nest. Well, this makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because sometimes people offer doves as sacrifices in the temple. And if you recall, Jesus went into the temple and he cleared out the cellars of doves. Doves were an agricultural endeavor. People kept them. It's a thousands years old, year old practice. When immigrants came from Europe, dovecotes are... Uh, I'm, I know I'm starting and stopping. I've got a problem that way. If it go, gets really bad, talk to the board, the church board about it. Um, where was I? Oh yeah, Europe, thank you. I was in Europe. There are really large, well-developed uh, uh, a- architecturally sophisticated dovecotes all over Europe, especially in England and France, because they were status symbols. Owning lots of doves and or pigeons was a status symbol, and having a dovecote was a status symbol because the people ate them, and it was part of their diet, and it was also, they were also used for sending messages uh, abroad, then the, you, the animals were trainable. This was brought, this practice of keeping pigeons and doves was brought to America, and it was practiced in New York City up until, in Manhattan up until recently. It is still practiced in Brooklyn and the Bronx. The keeping of dovecotes on the roofs of the building. Some of them are massive. I, I learned about one guy who kept a dovecote of 
2,000 pigeons. These are not wild pigeons. These are domesticated, tame pigeons that you let out of your dove coat and you bring back and you train them. You've got to go to your dove coat. That thing that represents status for you. And you've got to grab every one of those birds and bring it to the gate that keeps them in and keeps them safe. And you've got to go like this with every single one of them. Because if you don't set every single one of them free, they're going to keep you in bondage. The man is told by Jesus, go and sell all you have. In order to go and sell all you have, you've got to get a grip on all of you, all that you have. You've got to get a grip on every dove and set it free. Let go of it. Let them fly so that you can fly to eternal life. I'll fly away, O glory. The dove coat can keep us from being free. In verse 21, it reads that Jesus beheld this man and loved him. Jesus knows and loves every individual. That's, that's the sense in which this is about every person, not just about this one single rich person. He knows and loves every individual, and you can take comfort in that. Yes! But also realize that his knowing you, seeing you, and loving you is insufficient to receive eternal life. He sees me. He knows all about me. He loves me. I'm good. Mm. The Lord saw this man, loved this man. When it came to eternal life, fail. Surrendering everything to his will is unavoidable and mandatory. We are not owed unity and harmony with Jesus. We are not entitled to it. His love does not entitle us to it. This is where the rich man's the rich man's riches come into the picture. Not just his riches, but the effect of his riches on them. Jesus says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised, guys. It's very difficult for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God. Are we rich? We can make a case that none of us at Living Word Church is rich. Wouldn't be that hard to make the case. If some of you are rich, you're probably hiding it very well. We could also make the case that all of us are rich, or just about all of us are rich. I mean, living in the 21st century in America, at the standard of living that all of us are living, uh, comparatively speaking, compared to uh, the history of mankind, we're living rich. Indoor plumbing? We all have indoor plumbing. Electricity? Have you all got electricity? Have you all got indoor plumbing? Almost all of you have a cell phone. That's like having a computer in your pocket. A case can be made that we're all rich. Like I said, the point is not about being rich or not rich. The message this morning is not 
oh boy, I'm rich, I'm in trouble, or, oh boy, I'm poor, I'm all set, I'm good, nothing to worry about, I'm poor, praise God. What is it about being rich that makes it hard for the rich man to be saved? Because all of us have to watch out for that. That's the thing we have to watch out for. And I'll say it this way. The man is used to getting what he wants. And when you adopt that attitude, when you you are just used to, insisting, good at, getting what you want, watch out. That can be a real inhibitor of a close relationship with Jesus. We all have to watch out for that. It's a thing with him. It's a thing with this guy. I know, I know how to get what I want. I'm good at getting what I want. It's a thing with him. He begins with a deadly and prideful presumption. And that is, if I want it, I can get it. Brothers and sisters, if I want it, I can get it. What do you think about somebody who, who sort of um, uses that as a model for their lie, lives? If I want it, I can get it. Do you see anything wrong with that? If we check out the other Gospels about this account, we can find out from Matthew that this rich seeker was young. If we look at Luke, we can find out that he was a ruler, like a prince. That's why he's often called the rich young ruler, because... um, if we put the three gosp- those three Gospels together, those are the details we find out. He's too young to be a religious ruler. It was required for men to be, you know, older in years and more established in their character and so on in order to have been religious rulers, like in the, on this, the ruling council of the Jews, the Sanhedrin, but he must have been an influential aristocrat from a special family, probably a high achiever. He knows about high things and he is very confident in approaching Jesus. He's used to getting what he wants. Now, that could be a matter of pride to us here in the 21st century and where we live, in the culture we live. I know how to get what I want. We might think of that as a virtue, as a high quality. If I want it, I get it. I know how to get it. I know how to push the buttons and pull the levers and get what I want. That's a problem for this guy. Last week, I showed you a rich man in Luke chapter 16. He was quite self-centered and overconfident. He thought he knew how to get whatever he wanted. 
He had just the quality of life that he desired. The Bible says he was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. He knew how to get what he wanted. His life's trajectory, though, landed in torment in hell. But he still thinks he can get what he wants. He says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. He's bossing around Father Abraham. He thinks Lazarus, the poor man who used to sit outside his house, is his servant. Later on in the account, he says, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. Clearly, this man is used to getting what he wants. It's a thing with him. Watch out for that. Rich or poor. Never mind the money aspect. It's what the money does. It gets you thinking you can have whatever you want. You don't have to be rich to adopt that kind of thinking. Uh, The rich man in Luke 16, he was cursed with unending frustration of talking to movers and shakers to get what he wants and failing. Look, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to do this. Send Lazarus to do that. Finally, Father Abraham says, you're not going to have it your way. And he says in response, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Look, Father Abraham, I am used to, I am used to getting what I want. He's not getting anything he wants. He's going to be frustrated forever. What a curse. You see his trajectory? His trajectory in life just kept on in the same direction after he died. And that will be, as far as I'm concerned, the curse of hell. You're going to take your problems right with you. Better to go to heaven. Better to be changed. Better to walk with Jesus. Better to give it up. Give it up. Entitlement can often be viewed as positive thinking. That's just positive thinking. That's just work ethic. That's just dignity. I have my dignity. And I can get what I want. I'll work for it. I'm confident. I'm a confident human being. I can get whatever I want. Back to the rich man of Mark chapter 10, the rich young ruler. He's thinking, I'm going to go talk to that famous teacher, Jesus. I'm going to go talk to him, and I'm going to put my question before him so that I can get what I want. I want eternal life. I'll go right to the top. 
I'll go right to the influencer. I'll go right to the mover and the shaker because I know how to talk to movers and shakers. Good master. You see, I I know how to talk to movers and shakers. It didn't work very well. Calling them good master did it. Don't call me that. Jesus says to him, there's none good but God, right? It's a little bit of a tip-off, isn't it? Tip-off, there's none good but God. I'm warning you ahead of time. Don't start telling me how good you are. Now, follow the commandments. He says, oh, I'm really good. I followed all the commandments. Like Brother Ben says sometimes, the coach says, the teacher says, this is going to be really important. It's going to be on the test. This is going to be on the test. Jesus tells him, there's none good but God. What does he do? He brags about being good. Oh, help him. No wonder Jesus loved him. Somebody had to. (laughs) Somebody had to love him. I'm bold. I talk to people in charge. And I get what I want. Is that a great way to be? I pay attention. I know where the power is. I know where the influences are. I know where the decision makers are. I go to them boldly. I talk to them. I get what I want. He didn't didn't win. He failed. He didn't get what he wanted. I think riches did that to him. Now, you don't have to have riches to be that way, though. I'm not talking about the riches. I'm talking about being the person who thinks I get what I want. I make things happen. The question was, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And to begin with, that question was founded on a proud presumption that he could do something to inherit eternal life that he will achieve, possess, inherit eternal life. In other words, get what he wants. Here's the truth. Eternal life is granted by God's grace to the unworthy. To the unworthy. It's what he has done that opens the door to us for eternal life. It's not what we've done. It's what he has done. Hallelujah. Am I telling you the truth of the gospel? Jesus refers to the commandments in verse 19 as a test. Should the man say, I keep them all. I don't think he should say that even if he has or thinks he has. I think he's making a big mistake trying to justify himself in front of the Son of God come to this world. He shouldn't say that. He shouldn't think that because it gives him credit for inheriting eternal life. Jesus already told him, No one is good enough 
He didn't listen. Romans 3.10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. And we could say, well, that's what the Bible says, so I guess it's true. To be honest with you, I don't really have to read the Bible to know that's true. I just have to look around. I look around and I know it's true. There is none righteous, no, not one. Do we really have to have the Bible tell us that in order to believe it? With all the wars and the injustices and the crime and the, and the abuse that happens in this world, do we really have to hear, have the Bible tell us no one is righteous, not one? Do you have to have the Bible tell you that before you believe it about yourself? I don't. I believe the Bible. That's not the problem. But I can just look at my life. It's pretty clear. I think I broke every one of the Ten Commandments. Isaiah 64, 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. I think Jesus would have been more hopeful for this rich young ruler if his, if, and his justification and his trajectory toward heaven if the man said, oh, the commandments, I've tried, but I've failed. And I know if I have sinned on one point, I have sinned on all. I'm sorry, Savior. Oh, great Master Son of God, come to earth. I cannot claim some great standard of obedience to your commandments. Watch out, Living Word Academy uh, person who's been born into the church and gone to Sunday school and gone to Living Word Academy. You, You are not going to inherit eternal life because of what you have done, because of the commandments that you have obeyed since you were since you were little, since you were young. You are not entitled to to inherit eternal life. Don't think I get my way. I have been taught the work ethic. If I want it, I go get it. I work hard and I get it. I grasp it. What I want, I get. Watch out for that mentality. Because you can't take that mentality to heaven with you. That won't get the doors of heaven open to you. The work ethic will not climb the steps to heaven. Amen? Oh, you've gone to a private school for many years. Your parents were good enough to pay a tuition school for you to go to, and you got a good education. You're going to go to college, and you're going to, you're going to score big time in college. You've graduated from college, and you've gotten high degrees and good grades. You've scored at your job interview. You know how to, you know how to get what you want, get the job you want, get the position you want, get the degree you want, get the grades you want. Watch out! You can't open the doors of heaven on your own. Throw away your entitlement attitude. 
The man comes to Jesus. I respect you, and I want eternal life. You're a great teacher. Tell me how to get eternal life, and I'll get it. I'm humble enough to come to you and listen. I'm proud enough to believe I can have anything I set my heart upon. Tell me how to do it. Where's the YouTube video? Give me the link for the YouTube video on how to get eternal life, if you would, please. That's exactly what you need to surrender, is what Jesus told him. Your pride. You presume that if you want it, you can have it. No, you can't. You can't have everything. You can't have both me and your riches. Jesus asks us all to do the same thing, brothers and sisters, to surrender our pride, to surrender any attitude of entitlement, to receive the favor that we don't deserve. Don't come to him entitled, demanding, or deserving. Don't come to him self-righteous and justifying yourself. He doesn't need your notes. Don't come to him overconfident. Remember how the rich man in Luke 16 was still argumentative? He thinks he knows better than Abraham? Did torment change him? No, not a bit. He was headed in the wrong direction in life, so he landed in the wrong place. That's how it works. If this rich young ruler doesn't let go of his sense of entitlement, he's going to go to hell justifying himself. He's going to justify himself all the way to hell. He's going to beat his head on a wall of frustration thinking, wait, wait, I get what I want. I get what I want. His attitude, I get what I want. I I work hard enough. I'm smart enough. I'm confident enough. I get what I want. It's going to torment him forever. I think it's going to be worse than the flames. It's going to be worse than the worm that never dies. It's going to be worse than the gnashing of teeth. It's beating your head against yourself. If the rich young ruler doesn't let go of his sense of entitlement, he's going to, he's going to be justifying himself forever, pointlessly, needlessly, failure. He doesn't have to tell everybody what a good boy he was. Verse 26. They were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? And Jesus looking upon them saith, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. The man put his trust in himself where we have to put our trust in God. With God. It's not all about what you've done, what you will do, how good you are at representing yourself. It's about Jesus holding our hand and taking the place as our advocates. He's going to turn us upside down, brothers and sisters. You know how to get what you want. You know how to fight what you have coming. You're tenacious. You're a fighter. You're strong. Instead of fighting for what you want, can you fight for what God wants? 
amongst God's people. This is ill-advised. I get what I want. And I'm going to teach my children that they can go out and get whatever they want. It's not something to brag about as a Christian. Either that that's your, the attitude that you've adopted or that's what you're teaching your children. It's nothing to brag about. It's better for us to try to give God what he wants. Not for us to get what we want, but to give God what he wants. As it says in 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, wherein too thou art also called. I pray that if there is anybody in this room that is thinking that you want Jesus and you want eternal life, it's okay. It's okay. If you want Jesus and eternal life, that you let go of anything he wants you to let go of, but first, first off, any presumption that you are going to somehow climb the stairs to heaven, climb to God, achieve. Oh, you're maybe very proud that you're a hard worker and a high achiever, that you do the best with what you have. Okay. But you could leave all that outside the door when you come into the temple of God because it's about what he does for you. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So I pray that you surrender your life to Jesus. Think about it as you go your separate ways. Oh, Father God, be with this congregation as we go our separate ways. Let us take thought for who we are and how we fail. And not how we can do anything we want, but how we depend on you. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you. That's all for today.